Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Jason. And I'm Blake. And I'm waiting for a funny quote from you. Uh, I got a cheers from the movie. (laughs) (laughs) We have enough cheers in our friend group already, but let's do it. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. All right. We've got a really, really, really good movie to talk about today. And surprisingly, maybe even shockingly, somehow neither of us have seen Jaws prior to this point in time. Yeah, like, everyone our age, like, knows so much about it, but we, so so we haven't really watched it. We've seen it referenced so many times, I think, that we just never thought, like, hey, let's sit down and watch this. Yeah, it's really strange, because I think the score of Jaws is maybe one of the most iconic scores of all time like it's easily just about yeah the easiest to like know like like as a child i knew the jaws theme yeah yeah not seeing the movie you, um, like we you would you would pretend you were jaws in the pool and do the dun yeah yeah as uh, like for as long as i can remember i know the quote um Oh, now I can remember. We're going to need a bigger (laughs) quote. We're going to need a bigger quote. (laughs) We're going to need a bigger boat. See, I got got sidetracked there because I said for as long as I can remember, and I really wanted to finish that with, I always wanted (laughs) to be a gangster. (laughs) I think about that all the time. (laughs) Wanting to be a gangster? Oh, yeah. Just that that quote pops into my head every time someone's like, ever since I can remember. (laughs) It's such a good movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm just perpetually thinking about Goodfellas and The Big Lebowski, so... (laughs) That's me in a nutshell. Um, Anyway, we're talking about the smash hit first summer blockbuster Jaws that came out in 1975. And the reason why we're doing this is because we're on the cusp of Shark Week, which starts July 24th. Shark Week started early for me. (laughs) That was chart with a T. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got that. <laughs> I didn't know how to react to it, to be honest. Yeah, Should we... I be concerned? Is it funny? Well, this movie got me pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually... The, there was one scene that actually startled me. Like, it actually yeah! did a jump scare. I I didn't expect that. I think I know what you're talking about, yeah. because it also made me jump. Like, I I was like, whoa! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly me, too. Um, yeah, I don't think a movie has unsettled me in this specific way since we watched The Thing for the podcast yeah, last yeah. summer or last fall. Yeah, this was another like master of suspense. And mm-hmm. like I can't believe we didn't watch this before. It blows my mind. I think it was so big that it was something that you didn't have to watch or something still. I don't it's it's crazy that I, we haven't watched it. I think it's one of those things where, and it's similar to TV shows, where it's something like everybody talks about it and everybody knows the big plot beats and yeah. like and aspects of, of the film or of the TV show and other cases where you're just like, 
ah, I don't need to watch it yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. But then you do, and it blows your mind. Yeah. And It's so much better than I was expecting. Oh, it's, it, and it held up so well. Like, the special effects, I couldn't... In contrast to Conan, where we did talk about some yeah. of the special effects not holding up, this movie holds up for being almost 50 years old to today's standards, yeah. in my opinion. I 100% agree. All right, well, let's get into the plot of the film. Do we really need a plot summary again? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, there's screams, boats, and a shark. Everyone knows it. But uh, let's actually do it. Amity is a small beach town that relies on tourism in the summer to make money. The new sheriff in town finds a dead beachgoer who is clearly attacked by a shark and has to fight against the business owners in town to let him close the beaches. Once another death occurs, a bounty is put out on this man-eater, and the sheriff, an oceanographer, and a rough old fisherman must go fishing. And you kind of highlighted this a little bit in that brief description that there's almost two parts two very distinct parts of this movie that you could almost split in half there's the onshore part where there's like the political element it's very tense we don't know exactly what's happening yet or where things are heading and then the second part is all on the boat and it's three men versus the element and the shark being the element in this case and that's where this movie goes into a hall of fame for man versus element for yeah. me which is a, a genre or or a subgenre that for me has a really special place in my heart i've always been fascinated with that like like just man versus something nature. out there nature yeah, yeah, yeah exactly like uh most recently the terror season one the British exploration of the Canadian Arctic back in yeah. the 1800s. It's one of the most tense and like just mind bottling, epic, crazy, I don't know, scary like TV, ep- 10 episode miniseries yeah. Yeah. I've ever seen. Up along with like. Oh, what's uh, that one? Liam Neeson in the Wild with the Wolves? I think it's called The Grey. The Grey. Oh, yeah. So those they all have similar elements to Jaws too. It's, like it's, it's a primal fear, I think, yeah, that like a realistic fear. Yeah, yeah. That we as humans in our cushy homes in especially in like North America and Europe just don't experience that mm. part of life very often. And there's something visceral about that that really can shake you to your core. Yeah. So yeah, that mixed with the um online first part of the movie mm-hmm. where it is human versus human and like profit driven versus like w- we should do what's right yeah there's yeah there's like a and the tension that there. it builds yeah. up to that point and the fear of the the villain in this case the shark that it builds up to like i don't think I know you couldn't just have them on the boat hunting the shark because the stakes wouldn't feel real enough and it builds the stakes and it builds that primal fear and what's out in the water basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They really chummed the waters for us. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Uh, did you say bottling mind bottling? Yeah. Like when it puts your mind in a bottle, it's fucking boggle. (laughs) That's from, uh, it's a Will Ferrell quote. 
Yeah, yeah, but um, <laughs> still. I knew it was gonna bug you. Yeah, I, I had gonna, to. I had to mention it. It was, I was gonna holding... put your mind in a bottle. And then I was gonna smash you with that bottle for using that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move into characters and people you may know. So the primary uh, protagonist of Jaws is Chief Martin Brody. I he... thought Jaws is the protagonist. We want the shark to win. <laughs> I guess point of view, like climate, I don't know. Yeah, you could maybe make an argument that Jaws the real hero here fighting the... Capitalism. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Just close the beach and I'll stop eating you. <laughs> oh, God. Anyways, sorry. Um, Main protagonist, yeah, and... Chief Brody. And he's kind of a fish out of water, so there's my zinger. Oh, yeah. Um, He's a cop from the city, from New York, and he's trying to make a difference in a small town. He he really feels out of place with this often. Like, he doesn't like going in the water. Um, He doesn't want to play politics with the small town community. Mm. It's really interesting, and he, I think he's kind of the character that is supposed to be the most relatable, like the everyman that you kind of see yourself through, because there's some slightly more wacky characters in this movie that we're going to talk about. And Brody is played by Roy Scheider, who's kind of an interesting actor. He reprised his role in Jaws 2 because, of course, a movie this big is going to get sequels, which we'll get into later. The other roles that he's known for are actually films that came out prior to Jaws, such as The French Connection and The Seven Ups, where he plays an NYPD detective in both. And that's kind of why Spielberg wanted him specifically for this role, because he's he's played the one side of it, and now he's putting him in that fish-out-of-water scenario, yeah. right? And for Scheider, he actually really despised these types of roles almost like he this is a situation where he got kind of typecast in that detective type of role and he never wanted to begin with which is really interesting because you and i talked about that on the last episode how arnold schwarzenegger almost became typecast into the role of like the he-man kind of role but through dumb luck, wasn't able to take on any other roles in that genre. So, yeah, yeah. I think honestly that this is probably the high point in Roy Scheider's career. So, if that until name he isn't... hooked up with um, Adam Sandler and started doing funny movies. Yeah, but he. Uh... <laughs> that's that's uh, Rob Schneider. <laughs> oh, p- <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I, I'm just doing jokes today. I gotta get into this. Sorry. <laughs> um i literally saw roy scheider i was like rob schneider and it was was like the first words that i i read when the movie started playing there's definitely like a word for that where you slightly get words wrong but it's probably german or something (laughs) um anyway our next big character in the film is matt hooper the marine biologist one of my favorite uh, characters in the film. Yeah, he's too. kind of the kooky scientist. Yeah, um, really passionate about sharks. He knows 
more than anybody else in the town, and that's why he's sent to do some research on the shark. He's also... He's not from the town. He comes in from a big city. Yeah. And, and, and he's yeah, kind from of... From the Oceanographic Society. Yeah, and him and the last character that I'm going to talk about have some tension between them because they both have a very different lifestyle, like their life experiences are very different. The way that they see sharks and nature is very different, and the way that they want to deal with problems is very different. Yeah, like they're, it's, I think there's so much tension there because they're adjacent. Mm -hmm. They work in similar fields just completely different experiences. Yeah. And there's also some off-screen tension that I we might talk oh, about uh, in effects and filming as well a little bit later. But anyway, Hooper is played by Richard Dreyfus. Very interesting filmography with uh, Dreyfus. The most notable role, and it's probably not his most notable role, but the role that like I was like his voice sounds familiar. And that voice is the voice of Adult Gordy in Stand By Me. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Really cool connection there. Yeah. One huh. of my favorite movies of all time. But he also appears in American Graffiti, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and What About Bob as well, which is another uh, massive Bill Murray movie. As well as, I was also going to mention The Goodbye Girl, which is the... Uh, first rom-com to earn over $100 million at the box office. So, pretty notable career, having Jaws under his belt, being the first big summer blockbuster, and then having the the first big rom-com as well. Which we might have to check out at some point, because it sounds pretty noteworthy. Yeah, I feel like he didn't get to do too much else at the forefront of, like, big film. Or anything like that. Like, he's not in anything else, really. Like, obviously, the um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But, like, after the 70s, I don't know anything else that he's done. Maybe that rom-com, but I haven't seen that either. Well, what about Bob is the 90s? And he did have some films in the 2000s as well. I think that he kind of maybe fades into being um, not a main character mm, yeah. a little bit later on in his career. I, I felt like he was so good in this, and I wanted uh, yeah. I, like I wanted him to have this like explosive career. But it just... like He obviously did a lot still. Like He's in so many other things, but... Yeah, I think you're underestimating the importance of some of the films that I've highlighted. Probably. And maybe okay. we need to watch some of those yeah, to yeah. get that. Like, I wouldn't say that he's like Paul Newman levels of good. No, um, yeah. Like, after we watched Butch Casting the Sundance Kid, I wanted to watch every Paul Newman movie yeah. ever made. But I felt the same way. I was like, this is kind of a... He's kind of got a st- scene-stealing performance yeah, in yeah. this. And I really think that we need to maybe explore a little bit more of his filmography as well to understand some of that. Because like something like Close Encounters of the Third Kind is a is a pretty famous movie, yeah. but I think it came out at the same time as the original Star Wars because him and George Lucas had a, a bit of a rivalry, a friendly hmm. rivalry between that and Star Wars. And Star Wars just eclipsed that so hard. Like... It's almost like Dark City and Matrix, right? Coming yeah, out around yeah. the same time and one overshadows the other. And it doesn't mean that the other one isn't bad or is bad, but 
it just something something just overshadows it and and sometimes we lose great movies that way yeah yeah the third main character of the film is quint who's an older sailor probably in his late 50s and he believes that he's the only one capable of taking down the shark in the town um everyone else is going out with like small fishing boats like like just casual fishing boats and they're all like going crazy bringing too many people like doing all these dumb crazy things yeah and he's the only like hardcore veteran of the town yeah and maybe has now it's um it's almost like a cliche, but his intro into the film of like yeah. the screeching of the fingernails black, down the, the chalkboard. Yeah. yeah, and then and then it's kind of him everybody parts and he's kind of in the back like yeah. as this grisly like like man who just has seen and done yeah, things. Like yeah. it's an intro that is often copied, but never quite as iconic as as his intro it it really does stand out amongst those and that's something that i'm going to mention later that i think there's a lot of aspects of this film that crop up in other films but just the the mixture of all of them are just so perfect in jaws Mm -hmm. that we never quite see that again so Quint is played by Robert Shaw, who unfortunately passed away a few years after the movie was released. So we really don't have much to talk about about what you may know him from after the 70s. But he has some very notable performances. He played the villain Red Grant in the second James Bond movie alongside sean connery Mm -hmm. in from russia with love he was one of the main characters in the taking of pelham one two three which was remade in the last 10 years with john travolta and denzel washington which is actually a pretty decent movie um i wonder what the original's like it's probably good it's probably really good and he was also in the deep which is another movie adaptation based on a Benchley novel which as we'll talk about a bit later this movie is based on a book that comes out not too much prior to the film the last character I just wanted to say yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, he's Robert Shaw he was he played a young Winston Churchill I love cool. any any actor who can play Winston Churchill in any capacity is like at the top of my books yeah, maybe we'll have to check that yeah, out. I really want to watch that now. Okay, so we have two characters left to talk about. The other notable character is Mayor Vaughn. Subsequent to Mayor Vaughn, there's like this trope almost of political leaders. And you know what? I'm going to relate this to a recent film. The don't look up style yeah, of yeah, politics yeah. that he kind of takes in this movie like kind of as you said previously in the plot like he is more concerned about the business interests than the reality of what's happening he's more interested in the perception of the town than the actual people within it yeah like he um like gets his group of other business people together and says like we can't close the beaches i know you all have to make money and Mm -hmm. he he's obviously making money off it and then um they even get the doctor who did the autopsy of the very first attack 
to uh, falsify the report to say it could have been a, a boating accident. Yeah, so he's got some weight, and he's going to use it. Well, and I think what's interesting about this portrayal as well, that you could maybe relate to politics of really any point in time, he believes in his own shtick, I think. Like, he's easily able to talk himself into this safe, like, it was just an accident, it was a boat, or, you know, there's no reason to fear the water, there, mm. because it could be this, that, or the other thing. Like, he he's logical to a fault. Like, yeah. he, he, he uses logic as a weapon, in this case. Um, even if it's not logical, as long as it can fit his narrative. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting look at politics through a not something that you would consider to be a political movie, but yeah. in the current climate, it, it pops yeah, a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, I agree. I feel like people must have felt that back then too, and like almost everyone's experienced somebody who's like that. Mm-hmm. Like, like just like that one neighborhood person who's trying to like power trip or someone at work. Yeah, or like I said, there's there becomes a trope subsequent to this where I could com- compare to so many other literary characters. Like I'm thinking right now the character that comes to my mind is Big Jim Remy in the book Under the Dome by Stephen King. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, very good novel, so-so TV show. Anyway, the last character that we have to quickly talk about is Bruce the Shark. Yeah. Not named Bruce in the movie, but belovingly named Bruce. By the cast. Yeah, by the cast. Bruce the Shark is pretty well written. Um, They utilize the shark extraordinarily well in that they don't show the shark for a large part of the movie. Um, And part of that's actually due to some limitations with the effects at this point in time. It was a one-ton, like, pneumatically moving, like, piece of art, basically. Yeah, through the water. Like, this thing was in the water moving around. Not easy to build and design. There was actually three of them that they used and I believe they lost one of them pretty much immediately as after they started shooting. They lost one probably in the Atlantic. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So the director we've already alluded to it's Steven Spielberg. It's a second feature film. His first one being the Sugarland Express, which is a movie I haven't heard previously. Um, but it's actually a crime film starring Goldie Hawn and oh. notable for the fact that both Steven Spielberg and Goldie Hawn are not known for crime films. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so something that we might have to check out at some point. Yeah. And he was in his mid-20s when he created this film, so... This is what jump-started his career. Oh, absolutely. And uh, especially getting uh, John Williams involved. So... Prior to this, John Williams is not as big of a composer as he is today. This is the film that... It's really interesting because you could argue that John Williams kick-started Steven Spielberg's career, or you could argue Steven Spielberg kick-started John Williams' career, and he probably won't be wrong with either argument. Yeah. Yeah, like, definitely iconic for both. Who is this movie for? This is a really 
interesting mashup of genres. The film is primarily, I would say, a thriller, and that's what it's primarily pegged on on IMDb and Wikipedia and other film sites. But there's aspects of horror, and that that's really a yeah. big part of the film. It's also a bit of an adventure film. Yeah. Um, it's it's like I don't know if you've read three or sorry, The Old Man in the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. No, I haven't. It's like it has to take a lot of inspiration from that to a certain degree. It does. Yeah, yeah. I do think I saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, this film has been written to to death. So yeah. you and I have a lot of interesting stuff that we've come through over the yeah. last few days. But anyway, there's also comedic parts to the film yes. as well, and so well placed. Very well placed, yeah. And we're gonna talk about that specifically and how they were placed and and that was very intentionally by design and something that we'll talk about in Legacy too, because I I don't want to spoil too many things yet. Mm. Um there's also some very tense sequences, like like a thriller, but like white knuckle kind of thriller, like like we compared to yeah. with the thing earlier, where you're on the edge of your seat and you're not really sure what's gonna happen. It's also a very Spielbergian movie, which in hindsight is kind of obvious, but uh, without this movie, we wouldn't have that, uh, like that idea, that genre, that tone, because with how large and important this movie is, I think that gives Spielberg uh, a little bit more creative freedom to do things the way that he wants to. And without this, we probably don't get something like Jurassic Park in the mm. 90s, which yeah. is a really iconic film series, which is currently in a state of reboot right yeah. now, which I've only seen the first one of those. We don't need to talk about or that yeah. new trilogy in too much detail. I think this has widespread appeal because of all of those different aspects yeah. that's incorporated in this film. Like this is everybody should watch this. Yes, because this is a this is a hundred movies to watch before you die kind of film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm still shocked that it took us this long, but like, there's so many good movies, so it's fair. But anybody could watch this. I guess like this was even like a huge like family movie. Back yeah. when it first came out, like there were kids watching it, which I think, of course, it was 1975. I don't know how young you let a kid watch this with all the, like, certain bits of gore and well, whatnot, we but it's not that, that bad. It holds up really it well, does. right? It does, so yeah. it's those gory parts are still pretty intense. Yeah. Funny enough, like, I remember back somebody that I grew up with, and we were probably like seven or eight years old, and his family was talking about how like how that was their family movie kind of thing mm. and my parents were like you're not going over to their place anymore <laughs> yeah. um, because my parents didn't let me watch jaws as a kid yeah. because they were like you know we don't want you to be afraid of going into the water yeah, and yeah. jokes on them i still don't like going into the water <laughs> you're just like uh the sheriff oh i'm so like the sheriff and that's probably where i draw those comparisons to and mm. i think he's that every man that you can relate to a little bit yeah. man him sitting on that beach went watching everyone in the water the f- first time that's one see- of the most tense scenes yeah. of cinema period. yeah like if i like yeah i i kept I being like to that. jess it was visceral i felt it yeah like, I, I kept being like to jess that person's gonna die no it's gonna be that yeah. person no yeah. oh it's here it comes oh yeah. no yeah <sighs> Yeah, it was it was very intense moment. I 
I haven't yelled at a screen like that <laughs> probably since the first time I watched the thing. Yeah. And the effects, like we said, they hold up so well today's standards that yeah. and anybody, like Kelvin, could yeah, watch this movie. Oh, 100%. He should. I don't know if he will. But he should. We're going to make him at some point. We will sit him down. This is a movie that I could watch with somebody just to feel how I felt the first time I watched this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like introducing some. This is a movie that anybody should love to introduce to someone else. Yeah. If If they have seen it, introduce it to someone who hasn't because it's really that good. It's maybe the most shareable movie that we have on this podcast to date. Yeah. Do you have any other who should watch this? I think we've pretty much said everybody and anybody, but... Grizzled old fishermen who haven't been in from the sea yet, they might might enjoy it. I don't know. Yeah, everybody should watch it. Haven't felt the touch of a woman in... 40 years. <laughs> That's not a quote, but I see, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's from something, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a good movie. It's, it's so good. Yeah. When to watch. This is obviously a blockbuster movie. I'm going to say, like, you even pick seasonality. Watch it in the summer, yeah. like that blockbuster time of film. Watch uh, it on the 4th of July for oh, Americans yeah. or maybe Canada Day for... Yeah, uh, it's a 4th of July movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's it a, takes place a over that movie. weekend. So, yeah. yeah. Slotted in right then. That's perfect. It's like the diehard of July 4th. Yeah, exactly. Um, along with, like... Independence Day, another great disaster movie, yeah. basically. You could probably call this a disaster movie yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Saturday night, like, get a group of people together and say we're going to watch Jaws. Yeah. The other one to watch that I said, this is the first time I think I've said this on the podcast, but if you have any theaters in your area that show yes. old films, yeah. pay attention this. to those. Because I think that this could be one of the coolest old movies to see on a big screen in a room full of other people. Like, imagine being there in 1975. Oh, my God. And everybody was talking about it. Like, it was a cultural phenomenon. It just blew up everything. And, yeah, just being there, watching it for that first time, the opening night, would have been amazing. I think the closest experience that I've ever had to being in a theater like that at that point in time would have been like Mad Max Fury Road on opening night yeah. in like an IMAX theater cuz that was that was a ride and the there was tension in yeah. the room yeah. like that's the closest i think i could get to relating to jaws in the theater in 1975 yeah i think just for being in like a, at a point of cultural um phenomenon would be for me the 7th like the final Harry Potter mm, film, like yes. watching that in theaters or maybe even like some of the newer uh, Star Wars, but it's different now. Yeah, I, I would say rather than Star Wars, maybe like the Avengers Endgame. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, same thing. So anybody who really loved their experience watching that in theaters, this is something that like, go watch it in, in an old theater if you can and yeah. ex- like try to experience it that way. This is the first movie that's made me start to think about paying attention to those movie theaters because I 
I think that I do want to start seeing some of these older movies on a big screen like that. Yeah, yeah, man, we should start doing that. There's uh, one in town here. I'm going to start paying attention, and we'll go see something sometime. Yeah. Where to Watch, currently streaming on Prime, and that's where I watched it through. Sip. So, but if it's in the future when you're listening to this, check out Just Watch. Yeah, Just Watch is always our go-to for where uh, where we find where things that we want to watch are streaming, both yeah. TV and movie. Yes. We still don't have a sponsor for it, but we're still plugging her anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's get into themes, which means we're cutting it off here. We're as spoiler-free as possible. For maybe the most spoiled movie of all time, or one of them. But if you've never seen this, please, please go watch this movie. And come back to us after and revel in how great of a film this is. Uh, Especially that one, uh, I can't even say it. (laughs) One more minute and I'll say it. (laughs) All right, cool. All right, we're back. Let's talk themes of Jaws, which is... Very interesting because, um, like we talked about before, there's some commentary to what was happening at the time. Because of how much, how big of a movie this is, it's a movie that's been studied relentlessly over the last 50 years as well. So there's been a lot of famous comparisons that have been drawn to what was going on at the time as well. Who's in office? (laughs) Um, was it the Watergate scandal? It was right after the Watergate scandal. Scandal. Oh, <laughs> I think you were talking about sandals. The beach. <laughs> no, I was talking about Sandal Bergman. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> From Conan. Yeah, the Watergate scandal is is pretty clear and obvious there. Um, and there's been a, a lot of academic journals and writing about that i'm sure if you went to film school and ever studied jaws you would have studied watergate probably Mm. and how each of the different one of the three main characters represent different people or ideas within the watergate scandal as well interestingly enough because there's some people who definitely wanted business to keep going Mm mm-hmm I don't know enough about the details yeah. of the analysis for that to really talk about that. I just know that it is that is the big comparison. Mm. There's kind of the a social class um, and maybe even caste kind of comparison here, and how Quint is is kind of like a more lower class person, and he's not uh, relied on at first, but he's the guy who's like working class he's got that grit he's like to the, him. the backbone yeah um and and the person that we need to help fix the problem whereas hooper on the flip side and where that there's that tension between them is he comes from like uh, like a civilized yeah. like technology and like university like learned yeah. uh background and so there's there's a big contrast there well, just to go into another theme, like man versus nature. Yeah, this absolutely. is like so comparable to Moby Dick. Oh, absolutely! Like yeah. this is basically the modern Moby Dick. Yeah, which, interestingly enough, like I've I've read the spark notes of 
Moby Dick. I've never read the novel itself, but I think we're I think we're ready for somebody to adopt Moby Dick into a really interesting film. Yeah, that would be an amazing epic. Yeah, like, maybe uh, starring like the guy from Gladiator. Crow, Russell yeah, Crow. Yeah, Russell Crow. I think Russell as the Crow. old man. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Uh, yeah, as uh, Captain. What's his name? Captain Ahab. Ahab. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think that could be a really interesting film. But Jaws is what we have right now compared to Moby yep. Dick. Yeah. So and like Moby Dick was absolutely huge, and so was this. So completely like the themes there are so similar. It was yeah. It works. Um, yeah, and and like you said as well, like it's it's human beings invading on another territory. There's the comparison about like you know, uh, like you said, man versus nature as well, but as well the like anti-consumerist, um, yeah. anti-corporate feel of this movie as mm-hmm. well. That pushback against profits at all costs. Yeah, yeah, like human greed like what what does it get you yeah human greed compared to environmental or the environment yeah yeah an environmental and encroachment um maybe even environmental destruction actually environmental destruction is kind of interesting here because like you mentioned earlier we get a scene where all of the angry village people go out on all these boats and it's they're not angry i don't think they're greedy yeah because they want the the uh, fame and the glory and i think it's like three thousand dollars yeah Yeah, three thousand dollars 1975 that's at least ten thousand dollars today um probably even more after 2020 yeah yeah. (laughs) and they're comically hunting anything that remotely looks like a shark they've got like when they pull that shark up i don't know if you noticed but there's like there's like shots in the shark there's like hooks in the shark there's yeah. a freaking arrow in yeah. the shark yeah and, and they're fighting over who, who caught the shark yeah who gets the glory and then they all get in and that was a real shark that they brought up from florida yeah for because oh this was filmed at martha's vineyard because there isn't a real amity and it's not on an island in like shooting yeah so they didn't actually have sharks around martha's vineyard so they had to go get one and it was actually like fished and caught for the movie i'm pretty sure or it was just fished and caught and they bought it and brought it up but yeah cool little fact real shark there it looked so real i was like that's a real shark yeah, apparently very decomposing at that point. Pretty mm. disgusting to film around, smell-wise. Yeah, I wonder if they actually cut it in the scene. That's a good question. I didn't see that online. Ugh, ugh, that would have been so gross. I don't want to think about that. I think those are the main big themes of the movie that I wanted to touch on. Um, So let's move into... Always my favorite part of the episode, effects and filming. Something interesting right off the bat early in the movie where we get the first victim of the shark, Chrissy, after they discover her remains on the beach. The fingers Mm. in the sand look very real, and that's because they are real fingers. They actually buried one of the female crew members in the sand with only her arm exposed because Steven Spielberg didn't look like the look of like a fake fake arm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And honestly, that set the tone for the the suspense. mm -hmm. Like, that... 
Like, we saw... So, first of all, the effects in filming of her actually dying was pretty cool. They used... Because she's getting thrashed around the top of the... Um, yeah, she's getting the water. moved around very yeah. quickly. And that's the only thing that I think... I was like, that's like no shark would do that. Just dragging her around the top, it would uh-huh. gra- like grab her and go deep or something. But just the way they did that, that set the tone for how intense like the um, deaths might be. But then yes. seeing uh, the reaction of the people who found the body. So we see, I think one the sheriff's deputy, he is the one who finds it, and then the sheriff. And he's, like, gagging because he's, like, that small town that, yeah. again, and the trope almost of, like, the out-of-water, like, small yeah. town. He's always grown up and lived here. He's never seen any of the horrors of the outside yeah. world. And and this makes him physically he, ill to he see He finds this. this, like, just completely torn apart body. And he, he looks like he's, like, he has the thousand-yard stare. Mm-hmm. And he's just out of it. He's, like... Like, he can barely communicate or anything. Yeah. And then um, you see Sheriff Brody. Sheriff Brody walk up, and he's shocked. Yeah. And he's seen some shit already. He sees this, and he's like, like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, that was, like, an oh, shit moment for everyone watching and in the scene. As a side note here, another small detail that I really love about this film is how they how they do the show not tell yeah um they do a really great job of making you feel like this is a small town um and the point that i want to bring up is the karate chopping menaces (laughs) karate chopping white picket fences yeah and how that's the biggest problem in the town i laugh so hard yeah like the the old lady um admin person at yeah their secretary secretary she um like she's just going on and on about it and he's like that's when he's typing on that old typewriter like mm-hmm. shark attack yeah and and yeah. he's trying to he's like trying to contain his his like panic almost yeah. and and thinking like we have to close the beach we have to do this we have to do that we have to protect the people of the town yeah and, and she's just like you got to do something about those white picket fence karate choppers <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and then we see the guy whose fence gets karate chopped and he's like what are you going to do about this and he's <laughs> and the sheriff has to rush off to like the hardware store to get a beach close sign because yeah. they don't have one yeah they've never needed one so, mm-hmm. and so like that all adds to that yeah, and, and it just, it really does a great job of capturing the feel of that small town community, which we see in other films, and like, I grew up in a small town, not a tourist town, but a small town, mm. so I can kind of understand growing up in, in that sort of um, environment, but I really appreciated those little details, yeah. and, and the way that it painted this the portrait of this film, and, and this the setting, setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I mentioned before, Quint and Hooper had a lot of on-screen tension, and the actors Shaw and Dreyfus actually hated each other (laughs) while they filmed together, and they just argued constantly on set of the film. And I think that really adds to that tension. Yeah, you can see it in so many moments between them. But it's amazing that they were able to, like, overcome that at that point where they're drinking and singing that. uh, The two songs that Quint sings are great. But that one song where they're... Yeah, we don't get many, like, 
cool seafarer singing moments in film. Yeah, there's the farewell and adieu, you fair Spanish ladies. That's Mm -hmm. the one that Quint is repeating throughout the film. But then there's, um, oh, show me the way to go home. So in that scene where they're comparing battle scars, you can tell that they connected. Yeah, obviously, absolutely. Like, apparently, they hated each other in real life, but they were such good actors, or they got so into it that mm-hmm. they actually like. I saw that connection like happen on screen. I was like, "Oh, that's awesome." They, for two people who hated each other so much in real life, they did have some really great on-screen chemistry. Yeah, yeah. a lot of the film itself, like twenty-five percent approximately is shot at water level to give you the sense that you're treading water in there and that ratchets up the tension throughout like i was trying to think and i i haven't thought of another movie that does that but there are other films that put you in that perspective that adds to that tension what i would say harikiri yes that one so they use a tilted face angle Mm -hmm. from below when we watched that, I looked up, like, wh- like what was the purpose of how they filmed those scenes. Right. And anything that isn't, like, center, like, the right perspective of someone, like, standing on ground mm-hmm. just adds so much to the suspense and, like, something's off. You know something's off. And Annabelle actually picked that up. At one point, she was saying, like, like why is the camera so low? Right. And I was like, it's because, like, it's... Like, we're adding so much tension. You feel like that's perfect to say that you're treading water because it's so much lower than you would expect in it. Like, you've never seen something else shot that low, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. There, Spielberg is just great with camera angles. I can't remember. There was another film that I was doing research on. I don't, I don't even remember if it was for the podcast, to be honest, but they filmed a lot of their perspective from a child's point of view. It wasn't... Um, the Iron Giant, was it? Yes, it was. Ah, it was, okay. yeah. Animated, but still yeah. filmed from that perspective yeah. of a child. And again, we see the importance of where you place the camera yeah. Yeah. in in shooting and eviscerating the, the feelings that yeah. you want to make the audience feel at any given moment in your film and how important that is. There's so much that goes into movies that you have to step back sometimes to Mm. really appreciate those little... Yeah. And acknowledge them to really appreciate them. Yeah, like, people might not know why they felt so much, like, heightened anxiety in the moments when Sheriff Brody is feeling those that feeling. Yeah. Um, But all of that adds to it so much. Yeah. Cool, cool other, like, filming moment. When they're on the boat in the evening, we see a shooting star go over the boat. And I saw that and went, that looked really authentic. And Mm. I looked it up, and that was an actual shooting star. It wasn't. went by while they recorded it. No, it it wasn't. Yeah, it was! That was the, like, that was the biggest, um, like, Easter egg that people were talking about for years. And uh, they like from like more recently, they've done some analysis uh-huh. and they like really zoomed in on the star. And like the biggest detractor against that theory that mm-hmm. it was a real shooting star because you actually see it twice. Yes. Yeah. So um, I saw it and I was like, 
oh shit, this is that movie where there's a real shooting star. And then I started researching it after, as soon as the movie was done, I was like, is that shooting star real? Yeah. Like, I wanted to know if we got to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. So those scenes were shot during the day. So that wouldn't have been possible. They, Interesting, they, um, yeah. They downshifted, or like they shifted the lighting and everything so that it looked like it was shot at night. Yeah. But it was actually shot during the day because they It would have been so much more d- difficult. Yeah. To... yeah, they were literally on the Atlantic shooting yeah. all of that. So I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Aww. I got mine burst. Um, <laughs> everybody from 1975 eventually has to get theirs burst because that was so talked about. Yeah. Like, it's all over. It's in, like, lists of, like, crazy things that happened during this movie. And, yeah. But I think it's been um, detracted. On another similar note to camera work, the biggest jump scare of the film oh, yes. for me was the head floating down from the boat. It was a whole body, but the head yeah. shows up in the window. Of... And I wasn't expecting it at all. Like, at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, that was, like, I... That was such a cool character developing moment for Hooper too, because like he's showing that he's like completely like he knows sharks, yes. so he knows that that boat is gonna be fine to go dive under, and mm-hmm. then um so like I felt like he I felt his confidence that he would be fine. They would just get some information, and like that that lulls you into this state of like he knows what he's doing right but then you're to like but it's jaws you know something's gonna happen but then it was just the dead body with the eye missing yeah like, that was perfect like a perfectly placed jump scare he added this in after so spielberg was like i need one more like scare after he showed like the the final product basically to um test audiences right and then they went back and like filmed that with that like he added that in is that what you were gonna say kind of it's it's actually in the same realm of topic as a side note how do we become test audiences yeah i know right like at some point if our podcasts ever get big enough like i kind of hope that they they reach out to us <laughs> yeah uh they, pretty cool yeah. pretty prestigious yeah but hit uh, us up steven <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Steven. That'll make my life as a side note if that ever happens. But anyway, so that moment, they add that in. But Steven Spielberg still wanted the shark to get the biggest scream from the audience when it kind of Mm, appears at the behind the boat. Yeah. What he said about that scene or those scenes and and how he filmed them and added both of those jump scares in is that the lesson he learned from that is that a movie really can only do like one big scare moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and after you've hit the audience with that, they're kind of on their guard after that. Yeah. They know that you could do something else like that. Mm. So it's that one big moment that that's, that's all you have. So you have to... You have to pick your moment. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was like the perfect jump scare, and then mm-hmm. the full reveal. It wasn't as much of a jump scare. It was just like a terror moment, I yeah. guess. Like so, it was just like, whoa, the shark's there, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. But you're just, you're already, your body's already tense yeah, at that point. Yeah, yeah. That body in the water was the only f- shot I think filmed in a pool. Really? Tec- Interesting. Yeah. Another technical detail. Yeah. But, 
besides that. <laughs> Other related technical detail. I'm just firing these off yeah, like yeah, the interconnectedness yeah. here. Um, so I mentioned before that there were three sharks made, all named Bruce. Yeah. And each one kind of had their own unique functions. They each cost approximately $250,000 to make. Shit. Yeah. So that's that's where the budget was going. Totally worth it. Yeah. They're so they good. Even the water. I was, like, I was like, that is a shark in the water yeah, with them yeah, right there. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about our one of our famous scenes in the film, mm. the story of the U.S. Indianapolis. Yes. So this is based on a real historic event that happened, the sinking of the USS Indianapolis, I believe off the waters of Japan or somewhere in in that area of the world. It that was back from the island of Tinian to Leyte. Again, I'm somebody who finds like disasters really interesting and the tragedy of human beings is it's just fascinating to me everyone's drawn to it to different degrees but yeah yeah, like it's it's something that everyone like wants to hear about kind of and they played this scene so perfectly yeah he really draws you in he talks like quint is uh not he's pretty outspoken but he dials it back in this scene and he talks like almost at a whisper of yeah. the story of him surviving after the sinking of yeah. the US Indianapolis. And, 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 and like even the way they introduced it, like they mm-hmm. were uh, just going back and forth drinking about like uh, their battle scars and everything. Like right before this, there's a super funny scene. This is another well placed comedic moment right. where. Um, Brody asks Quint, like, what's that one? And Quint's like, what? He's like, that one there on your arm. He's like, oh, uh, that's a tattoo. I got that removed. And then Hooper was like, don't tell me, don't tell me, mother. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, there's, they just, like, roar with laughter. Hooper, like, finds another one or something, and he's like, uh... Mr. Hooper, that's the USS Indianapolis. Yeah. And then... And then um, it gets quiet, because the other two know the story. Well, uh, yeah, Hooper knows it. He's like, you were on the Indianapolis? And then Brody, again, fish out of water in almost everything. Right. Um, He's like, what happened? And then Quint goes right into it. And this is what actually brought that point in history back into the minds of Americans. That was kind of lost at that point in time. Because it was the um, the ship that delivered the uh, bomb to Hiroshima, but they it, the plane flew off that. Really, ship. I didn't know that. That's in the story. That's again like something that I think could be done really well in film or in As like its a, own movie. Yeah, like yeah. or like a, a six part mini series or mm. something like that. It reminds me, again, that's why I thought of the terror after watching this. That's why, or I'm just thinking of, like, the Long Walk, uh, Stephen King novel, and it's that survival in that will to survive Mm -hmm. that that fascinates me. And and what people, the lengths that people will go to to survive in these extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, that whole story, Quint talks about his friend... He sees him bobbing in the waves, and then eventually he realizes that he'd been bitten in half below the waist. A really a really dark moment in the story. And foreshadowing. Ooh, cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So there's a little bit of foreshadowing sprinkled throughout. Yeah. 
But yeah, that was a little cool one. If you're interested in that part of history at all, absolutely recommend you going back and reading the backstory. There's a couple of documentary type TV episodes based mm. on that. I think I've seen part of one at some point, but it'd be something that'd be interesting in going back and revisiting. like Especially for Shark Week. Yes. Because, this is a quote from him, so 1,100 men went into that water, 316 men came out, and the sharks took the rest. Yeah. June 29th, 1945. And there's various... Um reports about what actually happened during yeah. those that day or two or yeah. three while they were on the water i read a report that two people from the accident said that the sharks really only attacked the people who were dead for the most part and took yeah. the dead hmm. whereas maybe some people would get bit while they were swimming but sharks are i guess generally risk avoiders and so if if you're suddenly kicking the shark's going to probably back away in that case um and take the easy meals hmm, okay on the water but did you catch any other um uh foreshadowing moments the obvious one was the air tanks yeah that was pretty obvious um and i actually didn't know that jaws was going to die from that or maybe i did way back in like the small parts recesses of my brain, of brain the recess yeah. of my brain. I was going to say that, but I was like, is that right? <laughs> recesses for kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that was the obvious one. Um, what other ones did you find? Annabelle um, thought she had one um, when uh, Quint stabs the machete into the side of the boat. Oh, she, okay. She's yeah. like, oh, they're going to kill the shark with it. She's like, that's classic <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> and um, so. <laughs> Missing the point of like how much they focused on the tanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, she might have saw that, and, but didn't say anything. True. But she did see the uh, machete. And we do see Clint, uh, Quint trying to stab he stabs it a few times with a machete yeah but that's it that might be a nod think... toward the original book actually oh yeah um because in the book the shark dies from extensive wounds okay um so i'll fill you in like i actually read the synopsis of the book and at the end the shark's coming for brody he's actually killed the other two both hooper oh, okay. and quint at this point hmm. and as the shark's closing in on him it just dies and falls to the bottom of the ocean. Uh -huh. It's like, it's kind of anticlimactic, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, shit. I was so happy that Hooper lived, but at the same time, it would have been so much more impactful if he didn't. I don't know where I fall, like, in really, like, which one I prefer. It becomes more of a buddy movie, having yeah. them both survive and swim and have a Did chuckle Hooper as Did come get back, back for Jaws 2? No. Ah. Uh... <laughs> now I don't even want to. I watch think he it. was tied up in other stuff at that point. Maybe even that rom com I was talking about. Oh so. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, he, you might he, say he was caged in. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, point about that. Yes, I did some research on uh, when the shark cages were invented. They were invented. Give me a second. Uh, I've lost it. It was in like uh, like 20 years or so before by Jacques Cousteau, actually. Oh, unreal. Yeah. Huh. Cool. Cool connection there. Yeah. The shark cage looked so aluminum when they were yeah. moving it around. It looked like it was 
like going to break. Like yeah, it didn't look yeah. like it was going to be holding sharks. Yeah, back. yeah. Like they weren't sh- like showing that it was like a proven thing or anything. Yeah. But um, Hooper had confidence in it. What does uh, Quint call it? He's like, what do you got there? Uh, um, a shower or a, like a portable shower? Or he says something else. He like makes fun of it at the beginning, saying that won't hold up against our shark. Yeah. And this is before they know how truly big this shark is. Because <laughs> and then we get the, you're going to need a bigger boat line. Yeah. And I didn't know it was going to get repeated. And each time, I was like, nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. The, the because, one... because Brody is, like, so terrified yeah. of the shark at that point. Like, he's yeah. dead serious. He's like, we should go back to shore. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> oh, just the time when he, when Brody backs into the cabin... And Quint is, like, doing a bunch of stuff. It's, like, starting to flood, and he's looking for something. And he backs in, and he said, like, like the perfect timeline, like, when he's, like, fully serious, he's like, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. Like, the the way he backs in and is just completely horrified, like, scared, that was perfect. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know when the uh, there's a little fire in the cabin? And Quint is like, uh, like, Brody, put that out. Just the way Quint is so calm in these crazy scenarios right. m- makes you know that he's seen some shit. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's before we find out that he was on the Indianapolis. The characters in this were so well done. Yeah, they all had interesting and, backstories. And depth. And, and depth, and we learned about them over time. Like, yeah. it wasn't... It wasn't spoon-fed to us. Yeah. Um, we just get little tidbits here and there into the understanding of the how their minds work. Yeah. The last effects and filming point that I want to make before we move on, because we do have to move on at some point. Yeah. The book itself is written pretty drastically different than the film, and Steven Spielberg really really edited the screenplay because he said that all of the characters in the book were extraordinarily unlikable. Mm. Um, the other point of the book was there's a lot of subplots and a lot of like uh, stuff going on in the town that's yeah. just kind of unnecessary to the story. So yeah. he really wanted to focus in on the story of Jaws, mm. basically. After he had gotten to the screenplay to a pretty good point, he looked at it and he went, I really want to add some comedic elements to this as well. Okay. So he gave it to the writer Carl Gottlieb and said, take a look at this. Let me know if there's any comedy that you could add or, or comedic elements that you think that you could you can see in, in this uh, script and where you can add that. He ended up becoming... A crucial part of the script writing and did significant rewrites of the script basically at the point of time when they started filming they were like nowhere near having the script ready so every night they'd get together like the the actors and the crew and they (laughs) would talk about what they were going to be filming the next day and throw up like like ideas uh, ideas and quotes and and stuff like that and it became like a, a really like close-knit group of of people all working yeah Yeah. collaborative kind of group um with Gottlieb kind of at the center doing all of these Mm. rewrites and and adjustments oh uh, another little thing the that probably came up during that kind of session with the crew Mm -hmm. is that 
they had a small tugboat that was bringing them out or something like that, and somebody just offhanded was like, we're going to need a bigger boat. And then that became a joke a on A joke set. with all the set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then eventually they did end up using that yeah. and becoming one of the most iconic quotes of the entire yeah. film. Yeah. So that collaborative element that they added in with all of that like late night bullshitting mm-hmm. and figuring out for the next day, that probably added so much to the film. A very, very interesting take on how to how to build a film mm. oh one more okay go ahead the uh <laughs> the lady whose kid died her slap she couldn't she couldn't really fake a slap yeah it was 100 percent real and it they, was real they did 17 takes of it <laughs> and his face was hurting so bad <laughs> yeah. and then um I, this is completely random but years later after like it was like a decade or two later after the filming of this mm-hmm. um i forget her child's name in the movie she was in a random restaurant in like somewhere Mm -hmm. in the states and she saw that there was a sandwich on the menu named after the child like her child in the movie yeah and she said something to the um waiter or something and they went and got the owner the owner of that restaurant was the kid yeah the kid actor crazy how yeah. small of a world it yeah. is that yeah. something like and that like, could happen why, like they had no reason to connect for like the past 20 years and they just randomly <laughs> happened so funny yeah very cool I, I i really enjoy that story as well okay we gotta move on there's oh, there's so many crazy effects and filming stories that we could talk yeah. about everyone who hasn't watched this still like go watch it because there's so many cool things about this movie absolutely let's talk about score because mm, yeah, yeah. it's, it's so important to this film. Yeah. John Williams, it's the score that made him famous, put him on the map. The dun 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 is like dun. Yeah, dun, one of the most memorable yeah. scores dun, of all time. Dun, 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 I bet yeah. you I bet you I could like pull a bunch of kids from like any young age group and be like what is this from? Mm. And all of them would say Jaws, and none of them have seen Jaws before. They might not. They might not know it's Jaws, but if you told them to, oh, the shark, the baby shark song ruined it, maybe, for the youngest generation. <laughs> but like, if you were to ask them, like, what sound would you say like a shark does in the water? Mm-hmm. They they would do that, hundred percent. And so John Williams, uh, this quote is really cool. It's him talking about like how he came up with it and and what it signifies to him um so he said that the theme is it's grinding away at you just as a shark would do instinctual relentless and unstoppable it's cool it's just it's just cool it's ranked six the sixth greatest store by the american film institute Mm. of all time absolutely deserves it it would be cool as a side note to do a uh an episode like pinpointing something particular about a movie mm. and and like talking about like the top three movies of that or something yeah, like yeah. that because obviously that main theme is like so central but yeah he he does change it up a bit mm-hmm. as like throughout the film so he has um other points he tried to invoke more of a pirate music sound right probably closer to like times when quint is around and then um yeah not like pirates of the caribbean no yeah yeah <laughs> but like it he added like a primal but fun and entertaining element to it which 
is like perfect. Like that's a perfect description of almost the whole movie. If they added in a little bit of fear, but yeah, like the primal fear, but fun and entertaining. And interestingly enough, it's the lack of score that's used well as well throughout the film. For example, you kind of become accustomed, especially in the first act of the movie where the music tips you off that the shark is coming. And so later in the film, especially when we get the big jump where the shark is revealed behind Brody, we don't get that song to tip us off that it's coming kind of thing, right? So very well done as well there. What are you looking at? (laughs) It's just the tiniest little scene when um, Brody's sitting on the beach at the very beginning and there's been one attack, but the townspeople have said, no, don't like, don't close the beaches. He's sitting there watching everyone. Then that little old man sits in front of him and And starts talking. And then you see like little, like little parts of his vision. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, uh, that's some bad hat, Harry. There's this production company called That's Some Bad Hat, Harry. And they oh, they did a really famous other movie. It's set at the end of The Usual Suspects. Ah, so cool. Th- they, they had stuff to do with The Usual su- Suspects, X-Men, and House. I've watched House before, and at the end, when it shows the production companies, it's like, that's some bad hat, Harry. Mm, so that, that's where this scene that quotes from that's so, where a lot of production companies get their names from like um just little quotes like little that? quotes or like or references like uh rob reiner's production company is called castle rock productions a okay, reference yeah, to yeah. stephen king's world yeah. um after he made stand by me hmm. so yeah cool there uh the score is phenomenal it's everything that you could expect it to be in more while you're watching the film Mm. um there's a nostalgia to it while you're watching it like just just seeing it in its original intended where it's originally intended to be listened to is really cool and fascinating and exciting they really like they they put like music theory behind it too using uh they went from like a concert pitch e natural and then move up to a concert pitch f then it moves down again and like a half step fluctuation they purely made it for suspense and it works so well yeah it's just so iconic absolutely okay look back at the times i have a couple notes here and actually the notes are just casting decisions like stuff that almost happened the part of brody almost went to paul newman which would have yeah, been yeah yeah too he he's too big of a star and steven spielberg himself said he's too big of a star for this yeah because and and this is actually the prime example charlton heston was the other character or actor who was considered for the role of brody hmm. but the reason why i went to scheider instead of somebody like heston was because Heston at this point is known as the his characters are like the save the day type heroes yeah, yeah. um and that takes that away some of the tension and it would have given too much away yeah Spielberg wanted a lesser known actor so that you you really don't know as the audience if the shark could potentially be victorious and whether or not the shark has a chance like it's it's like early days game of thrones where anybody any character at any point in time can die yeah um obviously the later seasons there's a lot of plot armor but that 
the plot armor idea is something that Steven Spielberg thought about when he went into this. And that mm. actually uh, burned a bridge with Charlton Heston and <sighs> Steven Spielberg. Uh, Charlton Heston, not a big fan of Spielberg after that. Yeah, that Very happens. offended by that. <laughs> <laughs> Hooper also almost went to John Vaught or Jeff Bridges. Um, yes, I saw Jeff Bridges, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting decision. I think that Dreyfus was the right person for the role, but... I really love me some Jeff Bridges, so it makes me think about what he would have done in the role. He could have done it, for sure. Yeah. But it just works so well with um, who we got. So Absolutely. And then Legacy kind of tied in with Look Back at the Times. This was the highest grossing film of all time in 1975, but only held it for two years because then we get Star Wars in yeah, 77. Yeah. Over 67 million people in the U.S. went to see the film when it was released in 1975. Yeah, it was unprecedented. Yeah, it was legitimately unprecedented. It was the first summer blockbuster. And today you take that for granted that summer is the time of year where the blockbusters are released. However, prior to 1975, they were actually usually released around Christmas time because the studios thought had the thinking that people would want to be outdoors and being active in the summer. And it's hard to get people's attention towards watching film. So it was just a stroke of luck that the film itself got pushed back to the summer and then blew up the idea of the summer blockbuster from there. And as well, it's just a blockbuster in general. Yeah. Um, without this film, like a blockbusters, film in general would have been different. Like this is, this is a godfather level moment in movie history. For sure. Like it influenced movies in such a big way like like the thing influenced just one little section of movies Mm. but this was like a whole cultural thing like people were afraid to go to the to go swimming after watching this yeah like that sparked a fear like everyone had like not everyone but like a lot of people have a fear of water but like imagine like how much it was expanded upon with this and this film kind of sets the tone for mainstream man versus animal nature films we get we get a lot of movies that come out after this looking at some of the names here there was orca grizzly alligator (laughs) um and piranha which is a kind of almost a satire of jaws and actually spielberg said that uh it's basically the jaws best jaws ripoff ever made <laughs> yeah. i haven't seen the original there's also piranha 3d that yeah. came out in the last 10 15 yeah, years as they, well they did jaws 3d too and piranha 3d mm-hmm. anaconda was one from our uh yes. time period like snakes from... on a plane <laughs> <laughs> almost yeah <laughs> but yeah yeah kind of um, fits not only that but it, it the tone of the film is pretty integral to other like horror films as well. Like the obvious one here is Alien, uh, yeah. which actually was pitched as Jaws in Space. Oh enough. yeah, I think I saw that as like a tagline, like yeah. unofficially. Actually, as a side note, I should bring up the taglines for the other Jaws movies because there's some really famous taglines for <laughs> the sequels. That's funny. Uh, just another little. So this is a reference from uh, Back to the Future 2, which came out, I think, like a, a fair time after this. But it's like still the early it was, mid-80s. Yeah, it was like, yeah, mid-80s. Back to the Future 2. And there's uh, 
we see like Jaws number like yes Jaws like sixty seven yeah something like that and uh, Marty's like the shark still looks fake and he's in the future <laughs> yeah Jaws nineteen I think it was yeah it was Jaws nineteen one of the uh, sequels um I believe it's Jaws three D the sequels tagline was this time it's personal <laughs> and jaws 19 in back to the future yeah. is it says this time it's really really personal yeah, yeah. and it's <laughs> directed by max spielberg yeah 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 the tagline for the second movie is just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water yeah that's Which, that's phenomenal that's iconic yeah Whoever whoever came up with that idea in the marketing de- department deserves a gold star. The poster for Jaws was just instantly iconic as well. Absolutely. Jaws, I can't understate this or o- overstate this enough. I don't know which one I'm supposed to mean, but <laughs> I can't state this enough. Is Jaws changed how we as audiences received movies and viewed movies and how they were marketed to us because Hmm. jaws was one of the first movies to get like a major marketing push towards audiences whereas previous to this what would happen is is uh, hollywood would release movies on a much smaller basis to only a smaller number of theaters and they would build their their viewership by word of mouth yeah and they would find who their niche is and maybe that's a little bit of marketing and and to how the marketing departments maybe use technology to learn how people go about their lives and how they view movies and and how 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 movies impact different people but they basically just like let it out into the world and s- just saw what happened and yeah. and this changed that in such a big way and now that's why we have these massive movies that are that you get blitz marketing campaigns prior to going and that everybody goes and sees yeah, yeah. um this was like the first big or one of the first big movie phenomena that, you know, at you'd be at the water cooler talking about this movie probably for a week mm. after watching it. Yeah. And that becomes very much ingrained in, in society after that. And, and studios looking for that next big film. The other smaller bit here, we obviously brought up Shark Week earlier. I thought that Shark Week was created as a response to Jaws to kind of teach the American public about the misconceptions that Jaws presents, like as as sharks being these monsters of the sea that are bloodthirsty, looking to kill humans wherever possible. However, not the case. Jaws or Shark Week was kind of started independently in 1988, like Hmm. 13 years later. Okay. And the other point that I want to make is this is something from my adolescence. Uh, the show Mythbusters did an entire episode around the movie Jaws and what aspects of the movie they did correct about um, what a great white is capable and not capable of. And they, okay. they tested a lot of those oh, different fun. things, which is kind of <laughs> neat. For example, like they tested the ramming speed of a shark and yeah. if it could do that kind of damage on a to boat. A boat yeah. And it can technically, it just... Hasn't ever really been documented, yeah, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, kind of neat. Why would they? Unless yeah. it was a pure accident. Yeah, ex- like, 
there's stories of whales doing stuff like that. Like yeah. the the story behind Moby Dick, which I was actually going to bring up earlier and I forgot, but the real story behind Moby Dick and the people who survived the attack of that sperm whale and then mm. spent months out at sea, they had to like eat people who died while they yeah. were out there. Fascinating story. Absolutely yeah. recommend reading into it. That's again, one of those man first natures and what like, what will you do when pushed to the absolute limits? And that yeah. stuff just really, again, really fascinates me. Something that I've, I've read up on previously. <laughs> Love to check that out. Sequels, prequels, and reboots. So we talked about the book a little bit. It was written by Peter Benchley in 1974. So it came out instantly a bestseller, 44 weeks on the bestseller list. Very popular. And the studios instantly snapped this up, picked... Uh, Spielberg for director on this. However, the book itself has very mixed reviews. The reason being is that there's a lot of prose within the novel. And I had to Google that because my English isn't great. Apparently, what prose means is written in a very plain tone. There's not a lot of like literary devices. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, devices yeah. used. Like um, it's not poetic. It's like there's yeah. there's poetic and then there's prose and there's pros and cons to both. <laughs> yeah. Like, I I imagine it being, like, a very literal novel, um, not really painting a great picture of the setting, maybe. But I haven't written read the whole book. I haven't written the novel. And there's also a lot of problems with the characterization of the, the characters. And that's something that we mentioned previously, is that Steven uh, Spielberg found most of the characters pretty unlikable so he did some pretty extensive rewrites in that department however it was a book that critics really loved the suspense part and so that's what Spielberg obviously focused on with the movie yeah he did a great job pulling that book apart and turning it into like like really refining it into this masterpiece yeah. So a couple of notes on some of the changes that they made. The idea of Quint being a World War II USS Indianapolis survivor was added to the movie, which is great addition. You and yeah. I have talked about that being one of our highlights of the movie. Mm-hmm. They changed the shark's death to be uh, from a scuba tank instead of, uh, or like the explosion of the scuba tank from extensive wounds yeah and hen hooper dying along with quinn which uh, again i liked having both of them survive yeah yeah. especially like the little paddle back as they were like they used the barrels to paddle back yeah and then peter benchley uh himself has written several other novels that have nautical themes in them uh which i mentioned previously the deep which was adopted The Island, Beast, and White Shark. So Mm. if you're interested in diving into uh, him as a writer, those are some options that you have. Swim right through those. Yeah. (laughs) Dive in. Uh, So sequels of the movie. Definitely not received as well as Mm. Jaws, the original Jaws. Basically, actually, Steven Spielberg himself said in 1975 that making a sequel to anything is just a cheap carney trick so yeah. he, he's never been a fan of the sequel yeah. and he really hasn't made a ton of sequels over his careers like no i actually don't know if he was involved in jaws or not jaws uh, jurassic park two and three i gotta imagine he was, he was a producer at the very least but he doesn't if you look at his filmography well, there isn't a lot of sequels there well 
uh, Indiana Jones. Oh, that's true. That's and then, true. Wait, is he Avatar? No, that's no. Uh, James Cameron. Oh, yeah. All right. Like, the Indiana Jones ones, I think, are great. Oh, like, they're each so sequ- good. Like, each one is better than the last. and Like, they're all... Um, Not critically. No. But Raiders of the Lost Ark is rated one of the highest movies yeah. of all time. However, I do really enjoy every single Indiana Same. Jones yeah, movie. Yeah. Um, except for the fourth one, probably. Yeah, the newest, like the remake, yeah. whatever. That's but there's a new one of those coming out soon. Uh, We're off on a, on right, a massive yeah. tangent here. Yeah. So, Jaws... Two, um, we talked about the tagline for that. So Scheider came back for that to play Brody again. It's regarded the best of the sequels, which not a high bar for that. Jaws 3D has none of the original actors and mm. is apparently leans very hard on the 3D aspect. I think it's yeah. borderline unwatchable by yeah, today's standards. Probably. There was 3D a fourth. 3D never really worked. Yeah. There's a fourth? There's a fourth Jaws called Jaws the Revenge. And Lauren Gary, who I didn't mention before, play who plays Ellen Brody, okay. actually returns for this. Huh. And so this is the film where it said the tagline is this time it's personal. Okay. And the reason for that is because she thinks that the sharks are after her and their family. And that's uh, what the whole movie is centered around because huh. I think she moves away or something like yeah. that. Michael Caine's in this movie. But hmm. it's considered one of the worst movies ever made. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, probably, yeah, yeah. So we're going to watch it at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. We'll have, like, a, the worst movies ever made month. Absolutely. Um, so those those are the sequels. There's a lot of spinoffs of of the shark genre yeah. that Sharknado. I, Sharknado, obviously a yeah. more recent one. The blue or what's Deep that blue? one? blue? Deep Blue, yeah. Deep Blue's yeah. one. That's where the sharks are like, have like AI or something in their brains, right? Oh, no. They're you're, like You're thinking enhanced. of uh, uh, Austin Powers. No. With the lasers on their freaking heads. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's based on something, though. Um, that's just making fun of uh, James Bond, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, maybe. Deep Blue Sea. I, I want to say that there's a... Yeah, they make uh, sharks. They they're doing research to help fight Alzheimer's, oh, and so yeah, they like okay. enhance their brains. <laughs> and then they get sentient, and they're like, "Yeah, hey, why are we down here in the water? Let's go eat some people." Weird, but anyway, there's some interesting stuff. Not good stuff, but yeah. interesting stuff that comes on, out of this. On that note, uh, also like there is a a shitty impact of Jaws. On, yeah, um, we didn't talk shark about that populations. Legacy. Yeah. So yeah, like fishing for sharks became much more popular in the like decade after. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long that continued, but North American uh, fishing wasn't really centered around sharks at all. But then it became more of a sport fishing thing, and um, but then other parts of the world obviously do like the shark fin soup and everything. So and I think Jaws was such an international phenomenon too that it probably impacted some stuff there oh absolutely and and that was something that peter benchley the writer of the original novel actually really regretted and over his lifetime spent a lot of time working on conservation yeah yeah and put a lot of money into that and was recognized um for that over his lifetime yeah so that's good like it's it's good that he learned so much more after that he was able to work 
trying to fix the like he introduced something that was probably already there but it did become more popular so but there we have the internet now and everybody knows everything and uh nothing fake could ever come out of the internet exactly yeah yeah, we all know better all of us about everything (laughs) (laughs) and some people really want to tell you about it too all right, let's talk personal reviews and the partner factor. You yeah. and I have been like talking this up for the last hour and a half at this yeah. point. Uh, you obviously know where both of us stand. This movie is so good. This goes it's in probably so much my better top than what I thought. So same, yeah, same, like, same with Annabelle too. Yeah, like she was shocked at how good it was. I was shocked. Like I knew it was gonna be good, but I didn't know how good. Yeah, like I, I thought Conan was good, but like it, I, I knew even when I first watched it like ten years ago that it wasn't that good, but it was really fun. Yeah. Um, but this was fun and suspenseful and so well put together that I gained more respect for Spielberg. Um, yes. Watching one here. of his biggest first ones, like I didn't yeah. know that it was that good. I think I will go back watching other Spielberg movies in a different lens with yeah. a with a little bit of a different level of respect to them, yeah. like more respect for them yeah. after this. Yeah, because I've been talking about this. I think the biggest thing is that thought it was just an old movie for so long yeah probably growing up like oh yeah like our parents loved it sure i'm sure it was good in 1975 Mm -hmm. but no it holds up that was that was what blew me away yeah it's it holds up better than any other movie that we've watched on this podcast pre-1980s bar none yeah it it blows my mind that this is almost 50 years old and that the I think the writing is what makes it, like, that good. No, all the elements come together so well that it's shocking that it's 1975 when this came out. Yeah, and and you mentioned Annabelle. Jess also absolutely loved it. Fully engaged throughout the whole movie. And that says a yeah. lot, actually, because with uh, COVID, like, she's been struggling to watch things. And yeah. this is the first time since her and I have had COVID that she's, like been fully engaged yeah. in something yeah and this is a movie that Annabelle was not expecting to like mm-hmm. more than what i wasn't expecting i thought i would like it but she she was like the pacing is actually really good yes and that's the, the like that's her biggest detractor so that's like a 10 out of 10 for her mm-hmm. it's pretty damn high on my list too yeah yeah like she was like shit's always getting done like there's always something like happening yes or, like leading them forwards kind of that's something big about this legacy of this movie too because this is kind of at that point in time where where movies change and pivot and yeah. and and studios see what potential movies have to uh, and directors as well to pull like the emotions mm. out of out of audiences yeah. and and there's they they start playing around with stuff like that more it's like they're building getting a response they're building like the foundations of the science that mm-hmm. has become movie making and some like it has kind of gone too far yes. in some areas but seeing it in that kind of beginning state of like the 70s to 80s where it's that pivotal moment it's awesome and Bell did notice like there are some points where the music is a little too delightful and mm. a little too like she was like this almost reminds me of homeward bound because nice. that's like similar old school feel and everything but um i think that's where they play with you a little bit like there's parts where 
like the shark leaves and like they're like oh thank god they, they could catch their breath right and then it's like a little more fanciful music and then it suddenly switches back yes yeah, yeah. that's my review uh let's close out with a few of our favorite quotes mm. um and then and we'll wrap her up i don't know we've we'll, talked we'll i don't want to tell the story yeah we'll <laughs> reel it in i don't want to redo the story of the USS Indianapolis, that's something that you have to watch in the yeah. movie itself and, and do your extra research on if, if you're really interested in it because it is a really but interesting it, yeah, story. That's a great story, and it fits in so well. One of my favorite lines, besides the uh, uh, here's to swimming with bow-legged women, mm-hmm. was when Quint is leaving and Ellen is like, what are we going to tell the kids? And he just like looks at her, he's like, Tell them I'm going fishing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like those, like there's just those perfectly placed little lines that are comedic, but also like. Kind of epic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I really like the scenes where Hooper is like, they're totally going to die. Like he's like yeah, uh, Brody yeah. tells him, he's like, you want me, you want to help? Like go tell that group of idiots over there. They to get too many that, people. Yeah. There's too many people in that boat. Yeah. And then none of them are listening. To him. They're like, you're not the chief. And he turns to her, he's like, they're all dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he goes in and tells that to Brody as well. All yeah. of those guys are dead. Yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about one of the most important things. A dog dies in yeah. this movie. Yeah, that so, always kills Jess. Yeah, yeah. It turns her off in movies. Yeah. Even that happening isn't, in this movie couldn't turn yeah. her off. Isn't there a, a website called Does the Dog Die? There probably is. <laughs> and it's actually like a it they turned into a very helpful website for people with specific like fears or and anxieties or like triggering events and yeah, things yeah. like that. So yeah, it's called doesthedogdie.com and I wonder if it started well no, I there's a lot of dogs that die in film whatever, but it did happen in this. We probably should have said something at some point, but like <laughs> <laughs> now we'll mention it now. Yeah, that's a good spot. <laughs> right, at right, the end. right after you've watched it and you're <laughs> yeah. just listening to us discuss it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the songs I really liked Quint's singing, and mm. then at that like pivotal moment where they all start singing the um, "Show Me the Way to Go Home." I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago, and it went right to my head. Yeah, that scene when they started singing that it was really fun, and it's so apt for what they were doing. And it that's where like the camaraderie of the shared experiences was between Hooper and Quint. Yeah, like that, like they were showing their battle scars and everything, and then singing that song while drunk. Oh, the chalkboard scratch. Uh, the chalkboard wasn't there. Like, when you first pan around that room, mm. uh, the chalkboard wasn't there, and it didn't have a picture uh, drawn on it. Of the shark? Yeah, yeah. of the shark. <laughs> and then suddenly it's there, and he scratches on it. Yeah, you know what? Now that you say that, I can kind of picture that. Yeah. To me, this movie is um, more about the feeling and the plot than it is about the individual lines. It's such a good movie for so many reasons. The and even like the score, obviously, um, the the history of the movie itself is fascinating. So I'm I'm kind of out of quotes at this point. Yeah, just the final quote as they're kicking their way into shore. 
Brody's like, what day is this? And and it's Cooper with him. He's like, it's Wednesday. Uh, Tuesday, I think. Think the tide's with us? Keep kicking. I used to hate the water. Then Hooper's like, I can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A, f- a final laugh uh, yeah. shared amongst, like, new yeah. friends. Yeah. Should I just keep reading them and, and we'll just keep going all night? Yeah. That sounds fantastic. It's not Ho- like I want to go to bed at all. Hooper. Boys, oh boys, I think he's coming back for his noon feeding. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. Let's wrap her up. <laughs> all right, Let's wrap fine. Her up. Yeah. What are we doing next? I just looked at that while uh, we were talking um, that. So we put August as actor or actress month. Oh, yeah. I think we want to do actress month. We yeah. decided, yeah? Yeah, we haven't decided on who yet. Yeah. Uh, we've got a few names bouncing around. Marilyn but... Monroe's uh, high potential. Yeah, Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn. Helen Mirren could be interesting. Young mm-hmm. Helen Mirren. Yeah. We've got oh, some interesting um, actors. Uh, Goldie Hawn. Yeah, yeah, um, we just benched her in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, married to Russell, uh, Kurt Russell, one of my yeah. favorite actors of all time. Yeah. We'll just get into it when we get into it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Helena Bonham Carter, her some of her earlier stuff might be really good. That could be interesting as well. She's we haven't done a favorites. lot of 90s movies. Yeah. All right, well, we don't know yet what we're doing, but we're going to do an actress for the month of August, and it's going to be a lot of fun, so stay tuned. Yeah. I'm glad that we're finally getting getting things through here. This is kind of a blockbuster double feature week. Fingers crossed that I can get both of them edited up in time yeah. by the end of the week. But Good luck, and we're, we're also working on a challenge-type uh, addition to our podcast. Yeah, so I'm really excited about that uh, as well. Excited to sort that out and get it out to you guys. Yeah, I think uh, maybe we'll see about getting that in in September, potentially. Yeah. We have so many great movies to talk about up, yeah. coming up, so. We need Look- some more short-form stuff to get through, like, all the ones in between. Yeah, we, yeah, and maybe we change up the formula a little bit, and, uh, I don't know. Well, we'll see. We'll talk. We'll talk. Yeah, yeah. All, all right. right. Have a good one, everyone. Goodbye.